Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at cardboardtoheadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited today to be joined by manager of community relations at the NFL and founder of A Seat at the Table, Christina Havistat. Christina talks about the art of listening and how it's pivotal to changing the world. She also talks about speaking with confidence, starting with a blank sheet of paper, why she's passionate about mentorship and giving back, her very special favorite sports moment, and so, so much more. Christina provides so much inspiration and you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. Don't forget to rate and review and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And with that, let's get to it. Christina, thank you so much for joining me today. Forget my job. I have just been really looking forward to having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I'd love to jump right in. You are doing so much for women in sports and you've done so much over your entire career in a variety of positions. So I would love if you could jump right in and kind of take us through your professional journey to this point. Yeah, of course. So my professional journey is definitely nonlinear. I actually grew up in a sports family, um, played all the sports growing up, played volleyball in college. So I always knew that I wanted to be in the industry, but I graduated from college during the recession and I had rent to pay and I had cell phone bills to pay. And so I knew that I had to get some type of job um, anywhere just to be able to do that. And so I actually, after doing a ton of internships in college and all of that, I ended up just having to get a job as an assistant um, to a CEO of a healthcare recruiting company, um, literally making like $8 an hour just to pay bills. And so it was really a frustrating time in my life because I had went to school and I had studied and I had got all these internships. And then all of a sudden I find myself at a cube um, twiddling my <laughs> thumbs and working in a career that I just had no passion for. Um, eventually I was able to transition um, as an associate producer for Channel 4 News in Jacksonville, Florida, and was able to work on the morning show. So had really, really crazy hours, um, but quickly realized that I wasn't super fulfilled by it. Um, I thought mm-hmm. I wanted to work in sports broadcasting. I thought that I would love to work on set and be able to produce shows as well and just kind of find what my passion was there. But I don't know if it was the working at um, being at work at 2 a.m. for the morning show and leaving at 11 or what it was, <laughs> but I just wasn't passionate. So I ended up picking up a side job coaching high school volleyball because I wanted to stay in the game. And almost immediately, I discovered the impact that a coach could have on a young person's life, um, really in that mentorship role and that tough love that a coach could give her players. And so I ended up leaving um, the news and I worked in full-time ministry at Fellowship of Christian Athletes um, while still coaching on the side at that high school Um, And then after that, because I noticed the impact that a coach could have on a young person, I really started praying, like, if I'm supposed to, maybe I'm supposed to be a high school teacher, if I can have this much influence on the court, 
how much more so can I in the classroom? And so I became a substitute teacher. That was like Mm -hmm. the craziest um, position ever. Um, Just because you don't have any like rapport with the students, you just show up and you know how it is when you Mm -hmm. had a substitute (laughs) when you were Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But a, a position ended up opening as an intensive reading teacher for ninth through 12th graders, specifically 11th and 12th. And these were students who couldn't pass the state standardized assessment in reading to graduate. They had kind of been passed through the system or had really bad test anxiety. And so I was kind of their last stop in hopes for them to graduate. And I really found a passion with that and with students. So I was teaching, coaching, um, never thought that I would do that ever in my life. And I had a really bad high school experience. So it was really cool to do that. And then a friend of mine, since I've been, um, uh, when I, since I was 20 years old, Rashad Jennings played in the league and he saw what I was doing in the reading curriculum and the programs in the classroom and his foundation focuses on literacy. And so he asked me to come over to his foundation. And initially I said no, because I couldn't think of anything else that would fulfill me more. But then I really, really went to prayer with it. And I realized, wow, just kind of like the the analogy of coaching to teaching and influencing more people. Rashad was the starting running back for the New York Giants. So I was like, we could impact so many kids with his platform. Let me not be selfish and go use my gifts and talents that way. So I ended up uh, running his foundation. I was there for almost four years. And then in 2017, um, a position opened up for community relations manager at the NFL. And truthfully, I, I didn't want to apply, um, but I really, like all the other times in my life, felt led to do it. And so I had mm-hmm. 10 interviews and three months later, I got the job offer and I knew that I would always regret it if I didn't take it. And so that was a really long-winded answer, but all that to say that the journey to sports hasn't been that straight trajectory that some people have. And I actually really love that I didn't have the kind of that straight point. And there's been a lot of pivots and turns because I've learned so much that I've really applied, you know, I can apply now to where I am today. Well, and I'm really glad you shared that and shared that in that way because something that we talk about on this podcast and a lot of our guests will say, when you're getting into sports, you want to be focused on what you want to do, but you don't want to be so laser focused that you miss out on opportunities. And I think you are a fantastic example of that. You know, these opportunities came your way. You weren't sure. You put a lot of thought into it. You put prayer into it. And you ended up in the positions that you should be in. So I'm very glad that you shared that in that way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So for for our listeners who don't know, what does the community relations manager at the NFL do? Yeah. So from a league level, so every team, we have 32 teams. They all give back in in a certain way. And from a league level, we also have initiatives that are consistent across all 32. So while teams give back in different ways, the league has nonprofit partners as well as platforms. So Play 60, Crucial Catch, Salute to Service, Walter Payne NFL Man of the Year that you'll see consistently on the field. And while they're all year-round initiatives, my job is to really, um, specifically with Walter Payne NFL Man of the Year Award, NFL Green, and also Crucial Catch, is to manage manage um, the relationships with those national nonprofit partners, but also um, stay in close contact with the 32 teams every day to make sure that we're equipping them and they have what they need to be able to execute activations in those spaces. Um, I'm very passionate about um, working in these areas. It's really cool how it worked out. 
I use the word ironic loosely, but um, with Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, I still get what I got at the Rashad Jennings Foundation with helping and, and seeing what players are doing in their community from a humanitarian level. And then with Crucial Catch, my grandfather um, actually passed away from a brain tumor and uh, my grandmother is currently battling cancer. So I'm just very passionate about the cause and it's really cool to kind of be that person behind the scenes at the league office that helps to spearhead it. That's fantastic. And so how, I mean, what does it mean? And I know you've talked about it a little bit, but I would love to just go a little deeper and, and talk about being able to combine that passion of working in the community and working in sports because community work is something that's very, very important to me. And it's something as a brand, we really try to highlight uh, what you know various athletes are doing. So what does it mean for you to be able to kind of take those passions and things that you felt so strongly about and uh, combine them? You know, it honestly is everything. Um, when I was younger, my parents were great model role models to me. They led by example when it came to giving back. Um, whether we were on our way to go look at Christmas lights, and my um, my dad saw a homeless person, and we stopped and turned around and and you know derailed those plans to go get him clothes and he needed him food. Um, they've always been that example to me. So I've always been passionate about service and giving back. And it truly, it fuels me. I love to challenge myself ever since, honestly, I was like in high school to think of ways to give back. And then sports, I mean, I played sports my entire life. My entire family has played sports. And so being able, you know, I would go to sleep watching Gatorade and Nike commercials to get ready for my game the next day. And of course, college athletics just amplified that. So to be able to take those two passions and combine them, I literally feel so blessed. But I also know that, you know, for those that are listening is that it, it takes a while to get to that. And I always say that kind of like I said, when I was working w during the recession at a, in a cube, helping an assistant with his healthcare company that I had no passion for whatsoever, none of that work was in vain. And I think it's always important for people that aren't maybe necessarily fueled by the work that they're doing to know that a nothing is wasted and you're going to learn skills there that will transfer to where you're going. And so be present. And then, um, and then B, I don't remember what I was going to say for B, but, uh, <laughs> I just, just know that nothing is wasted and nothing is in vain and you're going to get to where you're supposed to go, even if you don't feel fulfilled. And now I remember B, which is always pick up a hobby or something on the side that does give you that fuel and that passion, that fulfillment, even if you can't do it full time. And you'll realize that when you're faithful and what I realized is when you're faithful with where you are and with what you've been given, even if it doesn't necessarily look like the picture you had hoped or you think you should be right now, um, that if you're faithful where you are, you'll always get to where you're supposed to go in the season that you're supposed to be there. I love that. That's, that's awesome. And that's really, really good advice. You know, what are a couple of things I'm just curious that you learned when you were sitting in that cubicle that you are able to take with you today? So one thing that I really learned from um, working at the healthcare company was the boss asked me to draw up a website. And for those that haven't made a website, you really need to figure out what the content is um, to even create one. And so that means everything from a mission statement to the tabs, to what you do, to simplifying what you do, to the imagery. And I quickly realized that I had to go to multiple people in the company and figure out how to simplify what we were doing to an audience. And I kid you not, to this day, I still have that blank white sheet of paper that now obviously has 
drawings on it of me drawing out the tabs of how to best write out the mission statement. And I've used just having that mindset of everything can start on a blank sheet of paper. When I create things um, like an organization that I created a seat at the table, um, I always start on a blank sheet and I pretend that I'm writing out a website for it because everything that you need for a company, you have to cast vision with um, to put on a website. And so I would say that it's hilarious that I thought that all of that was in vain and that I wouldn't learn anything from that time in my life. But something as easy as taking a blank sheet of paper and casting vision, I literally, I use it every single day now, even at the NFL. So let's talk a little bit about a seat at the table for women in sports entertainment. Um, how did that come about and what obstacles did you find in getting it started? Yeah, so a seat at the table for women in sports entertainment um, actually started out of an event that my friend MJ Acosta from NFL Total Access and I put on at Super Bowl LIV in Miami, and we were having. Oh, and I was supposed to be there. Yes, I was supposed yes. to be there, and I had I was speaking on a panel, and then was flying back to LA for twelve hours to do it tell a TV hit and then flew back to Miami, which was quite a thing in itself. But I really had wanted to be at your event. <laughs> oh my gosh. I really wish you could have been because that was the inception of everything. Um, oh. And yeah, actually, I do remember seeing your name on the guest list. So that's funny. But yes, mm -hmm. I'm so um, it started there because we were talking about how there really wasn't a genuine sisterhood and community mm -hmm. of current women in sport. But more importantly, um, probably like a week into planning this event, we were just going to bring literally everyone to a table and have dinner together. Um, we started thinking, how can we use our platforms to give back? And so we reached out to all of the area local universities in Miami and had the deans nominate students that they felt like have either overcome adversity to get to college, maybe they're a first generation college student, um, or just kids that are, excuse me, students that maybe not have an opportunity to be at the table with women in sport and veteran women in sport at that. And so that was an incredible in-person event. And when Corona hit, um, I literally just started thinking because I'm so passionate about mentorship. I should create something that is something similar to the table, but bring it virtual. And so now we are one year in because that was last March 2020. And we have like 4,000 people on an email list. We have um, students and women in the industry that join every single month to hear from a different person in the industry. And it's been just a really amazing blessing to see how far it's grown, literally based off an event that we had um, to bring people together at a restaurant. Were there, was there any pushback when you started? Were there any obstacles that got in your way? Um, I, you know, I really didn't experience too many obstacles. Um, I did want to be able to start this organization with the next generation, which is an interesting model. But I knew that if I was mm -hmm. starting something that I didn't just want to do it by myself. And I wanted to give the next generation an opportunity to see how a startup is built and how to truly bring community together and meet needs. And so I would say um, from a leadership standpoint, I have 12 girls that are all currently either just graduated from college or are at the coordinator level um, at different leagues, teams, et cetera. And I've been in communicate. We have a group me. I've been in communication with them since last March. We talk every day. Um, 
But I think from a leadership standpoint, there's been a little bit of a challenge of just honestly managing that many girls going from, Mm -hmm. you know, not managing anyone to managing 12, 12 different girls that just graduated from college has been interesting, but they're amazing and I love them, but it's been cool to really grow in that area and, and communicate effectively. Going back to uh, your role at the, as NFL's community relations manager, I seem to have a little trouble getting that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at things like Walter Payton Man of the Year, Crucial, Crucial Catch, and these initiatives that are so fantastic and so important, have, the NFL has been doing for quite some time. How do you make sure to adjust them and change them really, maybe not year to year, but from time to time to make sure they stay relevant and they're still capturing what it is you want them to capture. I hope that that made sense. Yeah, of course. I love that question. Um, The beautiful thing about our league initiatives is that we have nonprofit partners in each of the spaces for each of them that we truly know and consider the experts in that space. Um, For instance, um, for Crucial Catch, American Cancer Society is our official nonprofit partner. And because they're the experts, you know, I'm talking to them every day and every week regardless, but they are continually telling us what the needs are. They are telling us um, the numbers of how many screenings have gone down because of COVID. They're telling us the underserved communities and the grant facilities that can actually house these grants and provide grant, or excuse me, provide the screenings that those in the underserved community needs. And so I would say, you know, when it comes to, we have great NFL marketing, social, et cetera, teams that we all work cross-departmentally to make sure the campaigns are revitalized and expressed in a way that are received by our fans and that our fans will understand what the call to action is. But I would say the first step in all of that is getting with those that are in the community that are doing the work that we are funding, that we are providing the funding to, in this case, American Cancer Society for Crucial Catch, and truly saying, we're not just giving back to give back. We're giving back to meet the needs that you see are the most pressing needs at this time. And that's what we want to fund. And that's what we want to partner with you um, with. So even last year, um, lung cancer was beginning to be the leading cause of death when it came to cancer and needing screenings for that. And so we actually launched, um, I think it was around 20 lung cancer grants in our NFL markets. And so same, same with last year as well, we had restart cancer screening grants. So just leaning on the people that do the work and, and, and allowing, listening to their expertise and then Mm -hmm. being really good, mutually um, beneficial partners in that space has been really cool to see. And would you say generally, in, in your work and work you've done, whether it be teaching at the foundation at the NFL with a seat at the table, would you say generally that it's important to know what you know, but also know what you don't so that you can work collaboratively? Oh my goodness. You're speaking my language. I always tell the girls, you don't know what you don't know. And I am a lifelong learner and I always tell people, whether they're the next generation coming into sports or any industry, learn the art of listening and being, don't be so prideful where we think that we know everything just because we've had life experiences. We're, we're always in the position to learn something new. And so we should always have our ears open to that. Um, so absolutely. I mean, I, there's so many things, the more that I go about in life and the more that I get older, I realize how little I actually know. Um, so yes, absolutely. I mean, that's how, that's how world change happens is by being Mm -hmm. willing to sit and listen to people's stories, their experiences. And the beautiful thing about that is you can't argue or debate someone's personal experience or story. You can just listen and love and come together and collaborate 
have genuine community. And that's how, that's how you change the world at the end of the day. So I, I love that you brought that up. Oh, excellent. Well, great. I'm glad. I think it's important. And I think it's very important, especially for people just starting out male or female in the world of sports or honestly in anything. I think there's a pressure to show how much you know and and why you're so valuable and why you should be hired over someone else. And I think at times that can become a detriment if you're not taking the time to listen and learn. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So you are a mentor for many very lucky people. Have you had mentors in your career? You know, it's interesting. I actually have not had any mentors. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it is because I really have relied on figuring out everything by myself. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And so when I hear um, women, especially younger women saying, I can't do it. I don't have a mentor. Nobody's guiding me. Nobody's doing this and that. And I say it humbly, I say, well, well, I did. And it's not in a, and you don't have to have a victim mentality about it. Um, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that other women, um, which is why I created a seat at the table, shouldn't step up and recognize their platforms to make sure the next generation doesn't have to go through um, crazy long hours and learn things in 10 years that we could teach them in 10 minutes. Um, but that also means to value the process. And I wouldn't be who I am today. I don't think without teaching and relying on myself and betting on myself at the end of the day. And if there's anyone that's had a really big impact on my life, it's, it's been my parents and it's also been, um, my, my coaches, especially one really passionate, uh, coach that I had on the 18 national team when I played volleyball and he, I was playing in the Indianapolis Colts dome when it, when there was a dome back in the day and he, I was shanking balls left and right. Like I was playing these like six, five uh, foot women and I was a libero in defense and they were hitting straight down at the 10 foot line and balls were going everywhere. And he pulled me out and I was the starter. And I remember tears were rolling down my face um, on the sideline. And he kind of shook me passionately as if to say, wake up. And I remember looking at him and taking it so personally and saying, why don't you like me? Like, you don't think I'm good, blah, blah, blah. And just getting dramatic as 18 year old girls do sometimes. Uh, and as uh-huh. women can do sometimes. And I remember he stopped me and he looked me straight in the eyes and he paused and he said, Christina, the moment that I stop pushing you, the moment that I stop challenging you and the moment, quite frankly, that I stop yelling at you is the moment that you should worry because it is then that I don't care. It's then that I gave up. And so I would say just him saying that to me during such a crucial time in my life with such a big game has stuck with me um, that if people challenge you, um, especially those that are older than you, and maybe people might rub you the wrong way sometimes, it's because they see gold in you and they're trying to help you recognize it. So we can't get offended at that. They want the best for us. I like that. If they're challenging you, it's because they see gold. And I think that's a really important thing for people to remember. Uh, and kind of along those lines, um, I wanted to ask you, and it's something that I do ask all of our guests because I think it's important to, excuse me, I think it's important to learn from all these things. What is a criticism that you received early on in your career that was tough to take but helped to shape you in a positive way? Um, my dad, um, I would say it was... I don't know if I would call it a criticism, but he definitely was challenging me. And it was as early as when I was uh, 20, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was still in college. And I remember I had gone to school for biology because I wanted to work in sports training on the field. And then I was trying to play volleyball and do science and math, and it just wasn't working out. So I switched to communication. 
in my sophomore year, I finally was came home. I was so excited. I lived in the same city that my college was in. And I was like, dad, I have, I'm so excited to tell you, I know what I want to do. And I said, I want to work in sports broadcasting. And I thought he was going to pat me on my back and be so excited because I was so excited. And he <laughs> kind of said, well, and I remember this as if it was yesterday. He said, you know, that's, that's great, honey. I'm really glad that you figured that out. But how many other girls that love sports do you think also want the same thing? So what are you doing to set yourself apart? And in that moment, as a 20-year-old girl, I was kind of like, well, geez, that was just, I mean, just burst my bubble. I was so excited to drive home and tell you this. But it's the most valuable information and wisdom that I that I use in my life today is we have to be set apart. And if we truly want something, there are other people, especially in the sports industry, that equally want it as bad as us. And so that actually mm-hmm. changed, that conversation changed the trajectory of what I was doing. And you know, I say this humbly and without any pride at all, but I had to make a decision. Well, my teammates might have been out at the club or out partying or doing whatever. And mm-hmm. I I stayed home and I networked and I interned and I wrote articles. And again, I'm not glorifying, um, you know, being a workaholic and not having balance in your life. For sure, that should be it. But at some point, you are going to have to make choices and make sacrifices and, and work hard to get to where you want to go and realize that if you don't, there are other women that will absolutely do that for you and will get to where you want to go um, because they're willing to put the work in. So just don't want to underestimate the value of hard work. And my dad taught me that when I was really young. And it's really important because I think sometimes what happens too, especially with social media, there are instances where someone hits something and it goes viral. You Next thing you know, they're doing exactly what they want to do. And, they're, and that was super lucky and amazing that happened. More often than not, you may see someone on your television, on your Instagram, on wherever, and it may feel like an overnight success, so to speak, but that person's been working really, really hard for a really long time. It's just that you weren't watching high school football in San Diego, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And I think it's important to remember that, that there really are no, no shortcuts. It is about hard work and dedication. And this industry especially is very competitive and very difficult. And I don't say that to scare anybody, but just to say what your dad said was spot on. What are you doing to set yourself apart? Exactly. I mean, it's it's crazy because I get the same message in my LinkedIn box. I literally have thousands of messages that I still need to answer. And every single question says the same thing. It says, I would just love to have a 30-minute conversation with you and how um, how you got to where you are today. And I'm just like, I laugh because mm-hmm. I the parts that people want to hear are like the highlight reels, you know? And mm-hmm. there were the pro- – nobody's seen the process except for myself. And I would say that I truly believe the reason that I am where I am today is because I was faithful in the little things. I mean, people didn't see me building relationships with janitors um, after we lost a rival game in the gym at 10 p.m. and I had to teach at 5 a.m. the next morning. Um, People didn't see um, a ton, like literally a ton of stuff, journals, like 10 journals worth of things that the media wouldn't see that when I do podcasts, people wouldn't hear unless I'm asked about it. And all that to say is that when you think that where you are is in vain. Like I said earlier, when you think that you are making no progress to where you want to go, I would argue to say in hindsight, and I'm speaking from experience, that those are actually the most monumental points of your life that will shape your character for where you're going. 
because people say like, how do you interact with this? And how do you, you meet these players and these celebrities and you do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I treat them no differently than I did that janitor that was in that locker room crying and eating a shoulder at 10 PM at night that nobody saw. And when you, when you really realize that and you realize that what you're doing isn't in vain and that it's building your character so that you can sustain where you're going when you get there, um, that's the process and that's what it's all about. That is excellent advice. And that is very, very true. It's a hundred percent true. And so I hope everybody listens to that. And actually, if you want to rewind and listen to that again, I think it's <laughs> extremely valuable. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. Uh, for a seat for a seat at the table, can you let our listeners know what how exactly they can get involved of and course. get on that email list? Yeah, of course. So we have a website, but I would say we're most active on Instagram. Um, a seat at the table was not available. So we're at underscore join the table. Um, and we, we are always sharing things that are going on in the industry. But I think the most beneficial thing is um, we have a private LinkedIn group. And we have a lot of women in the industry that learn about positions before the public does. And so mm -hmm. we will post them in that group first so that girls have an opportunity to apply. Um, and then we also have once a month, if you follow in the LinkedIn group, um, and on Instagram, you, we'll, we'll bring in a woman from the industry that will come on and she'll share a story about how she got to where she is today. I think the most important part of this also is she shares what we don't know. And I learned so much of like, what exactly does it mean to be a, um, a communicate, a global communications manager for Jordan brand? What does it mean to be an MJ Acosta or a Kimmy checks? Um, and you actually learn what their day to day looks like, but then we pride ourselves on, you don't only have a seat at this table, you also have a voice. So the last 30 minutes, um, the next generation or women that are currently in the industry are able to ask questions and do a Q&A live time on Zoom um, with that person that we bring in. So anyone that wants to get involved would love for you to go just search a seat at the table in the group section of LinkedIn and then um, follow us on Instagram and you'll be right plugged in and with the sisterhood. Fantastic. When you see uh, young women getting into the sports industry today, is there a misstep that you see them making that you would like to correct? You know, honestly, I would, I think we don't value, like I said earlier, listening enough. And the thing that I really admire about the next generation of women and the future female game changers that are coming into the industry is that they are relentless and they are passionate and they have ideas and they are creative and they are innovative and they want to see change and they want to see um, they want to see everyone using their platform and, and seeing more women in the industry. And sometimes because of that, because I've been in, in that position as well, is that we're so quick to rattle off our ideas um, constantly. And, and, and like you said earlier, frankly, feel like we know everything and just like, well, mm -hmm. this is what needs to happen. And we get overly passionate and then we our emotional intel intelligence goes out the window. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that for those that are coming in any industry, but especially sports, is that to truly listen, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And mm -hmm. I think I can just keep it at that. Be quick to listen and slow to speak because um, there's a lot that we all don't know. And if we can do 75% listening and 25% giving our ideas, then that 25% of those ideas that we're giving are likely going to, to actually be effective. Whereas if we're flip that and we're talking 75% of the time and not listening to the things that are going on around us, 
then I think our decision-making is going to be flawed and actually what we should be prioritizing as women in the industry and what projects we should actually be putting our time to. So all that to say, I should listen to my own words and stop speaking, but be quick to listen and, um, and slow to speak. And I think you'll be very successful if you do that. Well, and in, in this case, on this podcast, it is about you. So you should feel free to talk as much as you want. And actually, <laughs> I should be the one that should be listening. Uh, and it, you know what? It kind of brings up an interesting point with really with what you just said. There are times where like this is an opportunity where you should be talking and I should be listening. If the situation re- was reversed, it would be that way. And I think there's also knowing kind of that balance and that line and learning how to read a room and read a situation. Uh, this, I mean, it's different, of course, because we're on a podcast, but I think that's a skill as well. Um, because there may be times where you're going to be asked to talk more than you might be comfortable, but you have to be prepared to do that. And there may be times where you should be listening an entire meeting and not saying a word. Exactly. And honestly, practicing that self-control, I mean, I still practice that every day. It takes discipline and self-control to be quiet and it takes discipline and self-control to be diligent in reading a room. And then you also like you said, there is time to speak. And when you do speak, I just want to let the listeners know is that I don't think it ever, I'm actually, I'm actually a speaker on the side. Like I speak to universities all the time. And I don't think there's one time that I've fully been like, Oh, I feel 800% today. I'm so excited. I'm not nervous at all. Like we're never going to fully feel confident all the time, but just know that you're equipped when it is time to speak go in there with confidence and speak and don't feel like you always have to justify everything. Um, because especially as women and maybe you're in a group of men and it can kind of just be intimidating just because of that dynamic, just know that you're there for a reason and that you are equipped to have those conversations and you don't need to water down what you're saying um, by the people that are in the room. And so I love that, that it's definitely a balance, but that when you, when you do speak, read the room, like you said, and then have that confidence to know I am in this room for a reason and I'm going to get my points across and I will be respectful and kind um, and genuine, but I'm not going to water down what I'm saying just because I'm nervous and I don't have the confidence myself in what I'm saying. Um, Your words hold a lot more value than you think and a lot more weight than you think, but we diminish that weight and we diminish that value simply because we lack the confidence. So um, never let them see you sweat, as MJ always says. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's excellent, excellent advice. Um, can you take us through a day in the life of Christina Havistat? Of course. Um, so when I'm in the office, we're in the office a few days a week because until we transition back fully. And then the rest of the week, I work from home. Um, but it's pretty structured outside of our, a lot of people see the major tentpole events. So kickoff, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, draft, Hall of Fame, combine. And they're like, wow, she's out in the community 24 seven. She gets to do all these great things. And while that's very true for those big events, um, people need to realize that it's only five weeks out of the year that I'm actually mm-hmm. in the community, planning community events, et cetera, doing the red carpets, all that. The rest of my time is spent at my desk um, in the league office in New York. And I, because I live in New York, I take the ferry. I live in New Jersey. I take the ferry over to New York. Um, I go to Midtown Manhattan, go upstairs, get some breakfast. And then honestly, a lot of my job is emails, 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 and meetings virtually now because of Zoom, but if not in person. Um, And a lot of it truly is, let's say, uh, I'll just use Crucial Catch again, for instance. 
we're in the off season per se. Now we're doing two things. We're planning for draft that's coming up at the end of April and then all the community things that surround that and the philanthropic component. But additionally, we're planning ahead for what our goals, what our marketing framework, what um, our call to action, what our messaging is for the Crucial Catch initiative that will come to life in October, but is year round. Um, So I'm working internally with NFL marketing, NFL social, NFL PR, um, accounting, finance, literally every department internally that you can think of to have these conversations, to look at research. We just did that yesterday to see what worked, to see what didn't. And then every week I also talk to the American Cancer Society and we talk about what they saw, what did work, what didn't work. We go over what the impact was for last year and what our goals are for this coming season. And so truthfully, outside of those big events, my day to day is a lot of emails. I mean, nonstop and a lot of meetings nonstop to have effective communication with everyone else to make sure that every department in the NFL is on board and contributing to what our final goals are and for that rollout and that launch of our initiatives during season, which will be this coming fall. Before we move to five fun facts, I have, well, first of all, I want to say that is a very packed day and schedule, uh, but also very glad that you brought up all the meetings and the emails because really, like we talked about earlier, it can seem very glamorous and much, many parts of it are and very exciting, but you know, it, it's a lot of hard work and a lot exactly. of, uh, you know, looking at your emails and sitting in the office and long hours. And I do think it's really important for people to remember that as well. I've actually uh, looked into the blue light glasses from Warby Parker. You know what? They're so helpful. Are they? I was wondering. They really are. And I, when I wear, when I actually remember to wear them, they're really, really helpful. Um, they're great. And actually I will do a plug for the Kittles. You are welcome. George and Claire, they did a line of blue light glasses with Zennies that are fantastic. Oh, okay. I'm going to look into it. Definitely going to look into it because the amount of times that we look at the screen, I mean, I just can't, I'm, it is what it is, but, (laughs) but they really, it's funny. They really are helpful. And I see a difference if I just remember, which I'm not great about. So I'll be pretty honest about that. But if I remember to put them on and wear them all day, it is like dramatically different. I wonder if now I have to give a plug. I wonder if Oakley has blue light glasses because they are an NFL partner. I should look to see if I have a discount or something. <laughs> oh, you definitely should. You absolutely should. I can't, I can't rock them as, as good as Patrick Mahomes though. So we'll see. That's okay. I don't think, nobody, we don't need you to do that. We, don't, we just need you to have your eyes feel good. So exactly. I think that's totally fine. I think that's totally fine. There are so exactly. many things Patrick Mahomes can do that I can't do as well as Patrick Mahomes that it's, I've just given up on that a long time ago. Yeah. So not to worry there. I'm right there with you. Uh, before, yeah, I mean, I can't throw sidearm or throw for that matter. So the combination is not great. Um, before we head into five fun facts, I wanted to ask you, how you've seen opportunities change and grow for women in sports and how you think we can still improve. Yeah. I mean, since I was in school and since I was in my twenties, um, I've just seen a lot more collaboration. I, are you on clubhouse? I am. So that I've actually with the clubhouse app, if you're not on it, you should try to get on it. Um, the people that are listening, but I've just seen so, so many great conversations that are being had. I've actually seen a lot of amazing male support in there as well. And there are a lot of men that will just reach out to me and be like, hey, is there anything I can do to help your next generation of women that you pour into? And their motives are pure and genuine. And so I've loved to see the support 
to see the support of men in the industry and also ladies just collaborating with one another and really just rising up as a force um, within the industry to really even be an example for women in other industries as well. Um, we can definitely, you know, still improve with that. I, I can't really think of anything to pinpoint that I would say needs um, improvement, but I was on a clubhouse yesterday and the girls were just kind of asked a similar question to each other. And they were just saying, continuing to realize that as women in sport, we're all in this together. And it sounds like unicorns and butterflies and rainbows when I say that, but you know, sports in general is very competitive. Yeah. Like sports is really competitive, but then you take like women in sports and it can get catty and competitive sometimes. Like that's what the girls were talking about yesterday. And it's really true is that um, if we can continue to come together and if we hear of an opportunity and we're in one room that we bring up someone else's name that we think would be a good fit for that and we look out for our sisters, then we will truly continually be unstoppable. And I think it's a consistency for all of us moving forward that is going to dictate a lot of how many women are going to continue to be in this industry. And I'm just a really strong advocate um, for black women and, and women of color um, to be in the industry as well, because um, like I said, that that clubhouse room that I was in last night focused on that. And so I'm just excited to continue to see um, people make rooms and spaces and especially for people to have a voice in the conversation um, for people with all races that are getting into this industry. Very, very, very well said. And I could not agree more on all of it. So, so thank you for that. Um, well, before I let you go, and I don't really want to because I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation and this has been just fantastic. And I think you've shared just so much good wisdom and advice and nuggets of information that I, I'm very excited for everybody that is listening to this podcast. But before I let you go, of course, we have to do five fun facts, which you you might know. I started doing this with the 49ers players uh, and we do it one-on-one -on, -one on my iPhone or more recently on Zoom, which has been a lot of fun because, you know, they get a chance to kind of just tell things about themselves that we wouldn't otherwise know. But uh, on this podcast, we ask the same five questions of everybody every week, which has been great because we get so many different answers. So if you are ready, we will have five fun facts with Christina Havistat. Let's do it. All right, Christina, what is your favorite moment in sports? My favorite moment? Um, when I ran Rashad Jennings Foundation, um, Rashad's dad had both of his legs amputated, and um, he was never able to go see his son play football. Um, and in the latter years of his career, he played in the league for eight years. And so, honestly, to this day, my greatest um, – my greatest moment in sports was when I was able to collab with his mom and surprise him um, surprise Rashad with his dad showing up on the sidelines in a wheelchair um, to watch him play. And since then, Rashad's dad, um, him and I were also very close, um, has passed away. But to even be able to look back at those pictures, it's really moving um, to know that I had a small part to play in that because seeing his reaction of his dad being there to watch him was it's priceless and I'll never forget it. That's amazing. That, that is truly an incredible story. That, what a moment. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. What is your life motto? My life motto. So it's actually, I'm a woman of faith, but I really like the scripture. It's John 4, 34. 
It says my nourishment comes from doing what he sent me to do and finishing his work. And that gives me motivation every single day to stay the course. What is your go-to workout? My go-to workout. So right now, my sister, I love playing volleyball, but my sister has me on this like strong curves program. I'm half Colombian, so I have curves. And we're like, we're like okay, we got to make these strong curves. So um, I've been waking up with her, going on a walk to her house, and then we'll do, she has like a gym at her house, so we'll work out and then I'll walk back. Um, so yeah, that's, it's been fun to do. That's for sure. It always changes though. I'll be honest. We have competitions on our Apple watches. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. (laughs) Workout buddy or workout sister is fantastic. Uh, (laughs) do you have a go-to, do you have a go-to coffee order? You know, I tried to stop drinking coffee because I became addicted to it. Um, so I really like a venti iced green tea, um, from Mm -hmm. Starbucks with three Splenda because I can't do without any kind of some type of sugar. (laughs) So I do that. It's really refreshing. That, That sounds very refreshing. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, a book every woman should read. Um, so I would say two. One, even if you're not a person of faith, Proverbs in the Bible is solid. It's like a bunch of great quotes. And then two, this book called Uninvited by Lisa Turkhurst. Um, it talks about the roots of rejection and why is women um, and how we can get over that um, so that we can succeed in life. So it's called Uninvited by Lisa Turkhurst. Fantastic. Thank you, Christina. Of course. This has been so fun. This has been, yeah, this has been really fun. And if you guys enjoyed it, and I know that you did, please make sure to rate, give us a five-star review, make sure you're subscribed. And I know I'm giving you lots of instructions. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first and tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First and tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First and tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstandtenspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.